The Start On Demand. On demand. It's our birthday. 680 CJOB is 73 years old today. You'll hear some classic clips from the days of yore. An Ethiopian Airlines plane crashes, killing all 157 people on board, including 18 Canadians, one of whom was living in Winnipeg. Grand Forks gets a half a foot of snow. Should we be concerned? And daylight saving time is a time, once and for all, to pick a time and stay there. I'm Brett McGarry, alongside Greg Mackling and Loren McNabb. We are Mackling, McGarry and McNabb, and this is the Monday, March 11th podcast for The Start. In this segment, lots of ground to cover. I want to tell you about a very unique cinematic experience that I had on Friday night at the Centennial Concert Hall. We're going to tell you about an NFL player who quit in rather dramatic fashion. But before we do any of that, it's a happy birthday to CJOB, 73 years young. We find Flying Officer Jack Blick and some of his Air Force buddies. It's September in the year 1945. But on March 11th, 1946, this is Blick Broadcasting Limited, 1340 on the dial, CJOB, the station that's working for Winnipeg. Yes, the biggest little station on the continent was all set to entertain, to inform, to serve Winnipeg. I love that. Hey, w- hey, see, weren't you in the advertising racket? A real pocket full of firecrackers, you see? And also, the it's like a parade music or something. Like, where are they marching? That's what it feels like. They're marching throughout the <laughs> airwaves, um, just sending out all sorts of happiness, greetings, I like it. information. We bring that music back. I like it. 1340, Brett and I both looked at each other. 1340 on the dial. But we were on the FM dial at one point as well, but uh, no longer. CJOB, B. The, of course, the mascot for CJOB for a long time was actually a bee. That's right. So thank you very much. Who, which one of our listeners pointed that out? That to was us? Don listening to us in Texas this morning. He shares a birthday with 680 CJOB. So happy birthday to him and happy birthday to us. So what happened with the Dallas Cowboys is David Irving. Okay, so David Ir- Irving, here's the headline from the New York Post. Don't quibble with the with the source of the headline. Cowboys David Irving quits NFL over weed policy while smoking a blunt. Basically, guys, I quit. Uh, I want to talk about a suspension and all this other nonsense. I'm out of there. I'm not doing this no more. Um, You know, it's a lot of reasons. Everyone questions my my commitment to football. Let's get it straight. Here and now. I love football. Football is, I mean, shit, it shaped me, you know? 
I wouldn't be here without it. Don't get me wrong. I love football. However, I don't love the NFL. <laughs> the NFL is not football, and y'all need to understand that. No, we just we did not miss a bleep there. He said shaped Shape. me. Yes. So just so you're clear, Irving was suspended indefinitely by the NFL last week for violating the league's drug policy. He then appeared to smoke on the video as he uh, ignited a lighter off camera. And he says that uh, he's leaving the NFL saying he's prepared to quit football unless it loosens its stance on marijuana to match policies of other professional sports. And if you want to play that other clip, he insists this is not about his love of the ganja. I don't know. You start talking about addiction. That's a sensitive subject. It's funny. You know, some people are like, oh, you're addicted to weed. You're addicted to this and that. I mean, if I'm going to be addicted to something, I'd rather be marijuana, which is medical. It's a medicine. I do not consider it a drug rather than the Xanax bars or the the Hydros or the, the Seroquel and all that crazy shit that they feed you. You know, so like I said, it ain't about smoking weed. About five years ago, had the honor to interview Keith McCants. He was the fourth overall draft choice in the NFL uh, entry draft in 1990. And he told me that the NFL, this is his opinion now, creates more drug addicts than anything else. And because of just what they give them to like live through the pain Correct. or battle an injury or what Correct. have you? Correct. On game day when the players are getting taped up and ready to go out on the field, he says there's a lineup at what he calls the pharmacy window to get anything that you need, everything within the rules in order to help you get through the game. And then when you get cut, released, inevitably leave the National Football League, you're addicted to these substances. So... Uh, yeah, David Irving saying, hey, you want to talk about addiction, let's talk about the hard drugs that the NFL passes out for free to its players. Wow. Hmm. That is interesting. Thanks for bringing that to our attention, Greg, because uh, it's kind of a bold protest no question. on his part. And now to hear him talk about, I don't consider this a drug, I consider this to be medicine. And we've learned so much just in the last year in that conversation, stuff that I never even thought about when it came to marijuana and those who use it and those who get helped by it. I remember McNabb, you went to, uh, what was the story that I've you totally went to? forgotten the name, but it was in St. Boniface and it was uh, for the first day, the opening. And well, I, you went to two, right? You went to Tokyo yes, Smoke? Yes, that's the first one. So I went to Tokyo Smoke and then I went to Delta 9, but it was at Tokyo Delta. Smoke that we were, we did an interview on just the oils that are available and CBD oil. And I remember you saying, sorry, what's that now? Yeah. And that's a cannabis drug without the high. And so there's all sorts of different things out there beyond just what we typically imagine when we picture someone smoking up. The, some of the last people you would ever expect are, who are using marijuana and or CBD oil to help them with their pain, to manage pain and other ailments. And the National Football League, I think, would be well advised to reinvestigate their stance on marijuana, especially when you realize how hard living the life of football is on your body. Uh, marijuana might be the the cure not the cause of, of problems in the in the national football league I want to take a moment to invite you to go to a website winnipegnightlifeawards.com or wnla.ca where you can vote for radio show of the year this is the winnipeg nightlife and lifestyle awards it's coming up april 19th the start with mackling and mcgarry Mackling McGarry McNabb, pardon me. And what was that? I'm thinking the last year's nominations were. for Mackling and McGarry were presenters. And 
You can also vote for Hal Anderson Afternoons for Radio Show of the Year and then 680 CJOB for Radio Station of the Year. Macklin McGarry McNabb will be hosting this event. Now, the, the name Nightlife might make you initially think, oh, it's just nightclubs and whatever. This doesn't interest me. But you can vote on all kinds of things. Like, for example, Venue of the Year includes the Centennial Concert Hall. And actually, in fact, that's where I found myself on Friday night. This is the theme song for Harry Potter. And on Friday and Saturday night, the Winnipeg Symphony Orchestra had their night at the movies, and they had Harry Potter and the Prisoner of Azkaban. I took my uh, my friend's daughter, Amelia. She's a Harry Potter That's lunatic. That's cute of you. Did she dress up? She wore a T-shirt. Yeah. And I asked I her... I meant, like, like, sometimes they, they'll go in character, like, you know, um, Hermione or whatever, Hermione. 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 Close <laughs> enough. You yeah. sound like enough. Jackie tried to start a pet name. <laughs> Well, I was I was wondering if she would because I know she has a wand, and when she when I picked her up, I said, "Did you bring your wand?" And she said, "No, my mom told me that that's dumb and I shouldn't." But there were people in full regalia at the show. I saw somebody wearing a sorting hat. Another guy had Hufflepuff suspenders, which <laughs> I thought fantastic. was really cool. And it was such an amazing show. Um, and they their next one, they're doing the Goblet of Fire in April of 2020. The next night at the movies, by the way, is Jurassic Park in October. So if you ever get a chance to, to take one of these things in, it's cool because it's seamless. Like you, It's neat to, to see the orchestra play the music live. Just hearing them do it live is cool. But then you watch the movie and you, you forget that the music is being performed live. Mm-hmm. That's how seamless it is. Even with a choir. Like they had a live choir Come matching on. the choir that was singing on screen. No way. Yeah. The sync was perfect. Now, how, how big is this screen? Is, is it as big a movie screen as you're ever going to see? Uh, it's pretty, pretty big, close, yeah, right? It's essentially the entire width of the stage. It hovers right above the orchestra and above Julian Pelicano, resident conductor. But are they on stage then? Or are they below in the pit? They're on stage. So that's interesting. That's cool. Yeah. I wondered how they would do that. I've been wanting to go for years. It's so neat. It's so neat. And it's cool to because whenever there's like a really big music scene, the uh, people will stop and clap, even over top of the show. And there's subtitles as well. Everything, The whole movie is subtitled. In case the music, because the music does that time, like the, you're there for the music. Sure. Uh, so the music does sometimes overpower the movie just a touch. Last question for you. How far back did you sit or how close did you sit to the front? I was in the 15th row. So I've heard, I heard some folks at Curling talking about this Saturday. They were at the show Friday night and they loved it. Their only complaint was they sat too close. Oh, really? Yes. So it sounds as though maybe the sweet spot. Is is further back, a little bit further back from the stage, just like it might be at a at a movie, yeah, altogether yeah, at maybe, a movie theater, maybe at least five rows back. Mm-hmm. So yeah, if you get a chance to take it in, Jurassic Park coming up in October, and the Nightmare Before Christmas is in November. But Centennial Concert Hall is one of the nominees for Venue of the Year. WSO is nominated with the Brothers Landreth for uh, Performing Arts Show of the Year. So there's all kinds of stuff to vote for. So WinnipegNightlifeAwards.com. Cast your vote for the start for Hal Anderson Afternoons and for 680 CJOB. You can vote as often as you wish. We start this hour once again with the Ethiopian Airlines crash. We've learned this morning that uh, China, Ethiopia, and the Cayman Islands have all suspended the use of the plane that was involved in that crash. It is the Boeing 737 MAX 8 jet, and it went down in Ethiopia Sunday, killing all 157 people on board. Among the dead, 
18 Canadians, including Daniel Moore, who spent the last year here in Winnipeg. So the Ethiopian Airlines flight was on its way to Nairobi when it crashed just six minutes after takeoff. And while family members and, of course, the Ethiopian community abroad and here in Winnipeg are trying to find more about what happened, aviation experts are taking a deeper look at that plane involved, the Boeing 737 MAX 8. Jock Williams is a former flight safety official with Transport Canada and joins us on the phone now. Good morning, Jock. Good morning. How are you? We're very well, but we, like many Canadians, are are thinking about the folks involved in this crash and our thoughts go out to them. But we're also just raising concerns or feeling concerned about this plane involved. Should we be suspending the use of it here in Canada? We know Air Canada and WestJet also use this plane. Well, personally, I think it's probably a step too far grounding the aircraft, but you you can't blame an airline for exhibiting a bunch of caution, if if only to reassure the public that they are being careful. And certainly they are, but they have found the cockpit voice recorder and the flight data recorder from the accident aircraft. And uh, very quickly, they will be aware of what really went on and why. So we need only wait a short while. Jock, do you think it's natural to hear about a play crash either in Indonesia, uh, as we saw in late October, or in, in Ethiopia, as we did over the weekend, and think, oh boy, they're probably running uh, st- substandard equipment, and then in this case, we realize that, oh boy, these planes are only been on the market, they've only been flying since 2017. Yeah, I think the airline took uh, delivery of this aircraft in October of last year. And uh, believe me, it's not worn out and it's an excellent aircraft in general. If there is a a problem with this one particular system, which I would describe as the auto trim system, probably the difficulty lies more in the unfamiliarity of the crews flying the aircraft with this new equipment capability. Sometimes when we bring in something new, we neglect to train people who've gotten into certain habit patterns in another type that they've been flying. We, we don't train that habit out of them. And that may prove to be the problem in this case. The system is really quite simple, but if you responded to it as you had for the previous 15 years in your earlier model, 737, you might be in trouble. So what is that system doing that pilots or crew members might not be prepared for? Well, if I could describe it like this, when when you take off in an aircraft, just at when you want to rotate the nose of the aircraft up, you pull back a little bit on the control column. You don't move it rapidly. You just ease it back. You put a pressure on the control column. Now, in this aircraft, the airplane says to itself, ah, I feel somebody's putting pressure in that direction. I'll just help them out. So it puts in its own pressure. Now, if if your idea and its idea don't immediately uh, agree, you could get in a situation where you're pulling back and it's pushing forward and then you reverse roles, you know, so that what you have to be able to do is say to yourself, oh, what I'm feeling is the natural response of the aircraft to what I'm doing. I'll just let it do what it's trained to do. But that's hard if you're not used to doing that. When you watch people who are not used to automated systems, converting to automated systems. Sometimes they have serious difficulty. It, it only takes, with good training, it only takes a day or two and you have the right habit pattern. But it does take a change, and changing habit patterns is hard. Ask any smoker when he's trying to, to quit. Well, just listening to it, it sounds like this would be kind of a, a nuisance to for pilots to have to learn this kind of new 
system? Is there what's the benefit of having these aircraft that do things in this kind of different fashion? <laughs> well, we keep getting better and better. The uh, I can remember back in the '90s and and the '80s when the pilots would remark that there's a little red button on the top of your control column, and they'd say, fortunately, all I have to do is push this red button, and this thing turns back into an airplane. What, he, what the person saying that would mean is that with all the new automated stuff that's going on, the pilot's sort of out of the loop. But if he wants to get back in the loop, all he has to do is push that red button. It turns off the autopilot. It turns off the auto trim system, and now you're flying it the way you always used to. But that's sort of a Luddite attitude, isn't it? We're supposed to embrace new technology. And this new technology does make it easier and in the long run better for pilots. But there's just this brief moment, and as it turns out, potentially fatal moment of not quite understanding what's going on. You're not used to it yet. It feels foreign. And so you take the wrong action. And that kind of thing, as we have proven, can be deadly. Jock, we have about 60 seconds here. Could you liken it, for those of us, just about everybody drives a car, could you liken it to some system in our vehicle that maybe has changed over the last 15 or 20 years that we take for granted now? But if someone has been asleep for two decades, driven a car now ago, oh my gosh, I can't believe this is how it works. Well, I I would try to equate it more to one of these automatic parking systems. And I, I have not as yet driven a car that has it. But it's going to be a mental shock for me the first time I push the button and says, park this thing and watch it pull in and do a perfect job, better job than I could do, of parallel parking. Well, it's the same thing in the airplane. This airplane can do what it's trying to do better than any of us as pilots can do. But we have to be used to it and prepared for what it's going to do or we might be upset. I think maybe that's a parallel for you. Jock Williams is a former flight safety official with Transport Canada joining us live on 680 CJOB. Jock, thank you so much for this. Much appreciated. My pleasure. Sorry it's always this kind of subject. Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb, Loren, one Winnipegger said, enough is enough. Yeah, and he's doing, reacting to what we've been calling, I think, a rash of liquor store thefts over the years, uh, particularly over the last year in Winnipeg. We even told that story last week of that customer who watched people walk out with an armful of booze and nobody did anything about it. The crimes have become so brazen that this other Winnipeg customer decided last week he was going to do something about it. Global's Allison McKinnon has his story and a warning from police. Dino Weave was buying groceries at this store last Friday when he noticed three people attempting to steal liquor. And I saw them, you know, stealing some bottles, putting inside their jacket. And when I saw them coming out, I grabbed two of them and one guy got away. So I grabbed the girl, put her to the ground and I ripped open her jacket and she had big, a large magnum bottle of vodka. When the woman got up, Weeb followed her outside before returning the bottle to the store. Liquor theft numbers have been on the rise. The number of incidents increased more than 300% in 2018 from 2017, from 658 thefts in Liquor Marts to more than 2,600 in 2018, according to Manitoba Liquor and Lotteries. Weeb says he's left feeling frustrated after seeing incidents like this happen almost weekly. Then the security guard's there, he's just standing there, and I asked him, are you going to do something? Did you get a license plate? The color of vehicle? He goes, no, I can't do nothing. I'm not allowed to. So why do we have security then? 
An employee who answered the phone at the Liquor Express location inside the store confirmed the incident. Manitoba Liquor and Lotteries encouraged their employees to call police instead of engaging thieves. And Winnipeg police have been dealing with vigilantes for some time and their messaging hasn't changed. If your motivation is to help us, we're not being helped by this. As a matter of fact, we're, we're saying, don't do this. It, it interferes with our ability to do our job. If something like this does occur in your business, to simply comply and allow those people to leave safely. Weeb says he knows both staff and police don't want him to engage, but... I'm putting my life in danger, yes. They might have a weapon, but I'll just, I'll keep doing it. Allison McKinnon, Global News. Interesting, because I get what the police are saying. You're definitely not supposed to intervene in that manner. But on the other hand, are there other things that could and should be done by staff, not customers, but staff, like taking down a license plate or the color of clothing that someone might be wearing beyond just relying on that surveillance video that they're going to harvest and send to police? Yeah, we had the discussion uh, last week with regard to the different ways that they could be displaying and and selling alcohol. One that we might have discussed off air or on, I don't really remember, was the idea of having maybe fewer bottles on display and maybe the bottles that are on display not necessarily being full of alcohol. Mm -hmm. And one of my buddies in BC was listening to that segment and he sent me an email. He says, do you remember the night those people came into Earl's and Vernon and scooped because we used to have wine bottles on display and they gathered up a wine, bunch of wine bottles and ran out and we chased after them. It was about a half a dozen of us. And finally somebody said, uh, that's just water and food coloring, guys. They don't really have any wine. <laughs> and we all stopped and had a good laugh about it, went back and, and had a drink. But the idea of maybe changing how we do this might be the only answer. I know the liquor stores don't want to do this, but they might have to consider and alter somewhat how they display and how they distribute the the liquor inside the store. They may have no choice. Yeah, yeah. And maybe, I don't know if, if they have to do it across the board or maybe just particular locations that are especially problematic. I know that it would be a, it would be a pain to have to, to go through that as a customer, but if it means curbing this problem and they can find a way to do it where it doesn't add a ton of inconvenience to the customer, then I think that it's worth at least looking at. And they spent so much money. Like these stores, for the most part, beautiful, beautiful locations, facilities, the shopping experience outside of this, I think is very good mm-hmm. at liquor stores. The, that, that would alter it. And I think that's a lot of the hesitancy here is to to change things when they've gone to so much work to to make this such a terrific retail experience. Well, I've said it before and I'll say it again. I, I think I, I question whether they're watching for like a trend or whether they think it's just going to be this, you know, 2018, 2019's an anomaly. And as we get a hold of crime in Winnipeg or work to that, it'll go go the wayside. And so they're they're nervous to make too big of changes. If it's just kind of a blip, like a bad few months, but it's been it's been longer than just a couple of weeks. We're now talking all of last year and into this year where the, the rise in thefts has gone up. Mackling, McGarry, McNabb, Moore, Braun, Forte, we're all here to talk about daylight saving time. And you can join the conversation as well by texting us at 204-780-6868. And indeed, that is the headline at cjob.com. Daylight saving time now in effect. And the conversation in Manitoba continues. Jeff, you mentioned, I think, to me in the newsroom in passing that you were not looking forward to today. Nope, never am. It's and, always an adjustment. And how did it go for you? Uh, it's Well, I, every time we do this one, I try to go to bed early on Sunday, hmm. but 
it's it doesn't work. You just lay there not being able to sleep for like 90 minutes. So, and then uh, I don't know. Uh, here I am. I can barely think right now. <laughs> <laughs> here well, I am. Well, and I think you just said. summed it up for exactly. what many of us are going through right now. <laughs> Kelly, uh, what about you? Uh, I don't know. Maybe because I had to travel a lot earlier in my career doing the hockey play-by-play and that sort of thing, and you wind up in different time zones. Yep. And uh, the, the one where I really struggled was St. John's because of the two-and-a-half-hour difference. But an hour... It doesn't really, I don't know, it doesn't bother me that much. I, you know, other than the inconvenience of having to go around and change all the clocks and the timers on lights and, and all that sort of stuff. But no, I don't, uh, I don't find it eh, that difficult at all. But I, I wish we would just find a time and then stick with it. Not, you mean like not go back and forth? Exactly. Yeah. I like yeah. going back and forth. I mean, as rough as it can be today, it's just, I, I enjoy how weird it is that we yeah. just, everyone agrees like, let's all change our clocks today. Okay, yeah, <laughs> yeah, let's do that. I also like the like the kids yesterday, so I said, okay, everybody come upstairs at supper, and they were they, well, they were outside, sorry, and they are like, it's not supper time, because yeah. it was yeah. so bright, and they were confused by like the idea that you go to bed in the dark, and you eat when it's dusk, and you know, those kinds yeah. of things, and so then you have to go through the whole speech from here forward, just because the sun is up doesn't mean you get to be up, right? So that's the challenge. Greg, Greg is trying to tell me something here. Just bring, bring him behind the curtains. Greg's waving at me, and he's he's making all sorts of like. I thought like he, a, had, I like thought a, he had to rush like to go to the washroom. I would have just gone to the washroom if I needed to go. The the button that indicates whether or not I can play audio yeah. is not working. Okay. So we got a text message. You have this exact same discussion every year. Is it really necessary to rehash over and over again? Well, yeah, it is. There are twenty six. States with legislation about daylight saving time at various wow. stages of reading and proposal. And here's something from British Columbia Premier uh, Horrigan about how often he gets contacted about this issue. Premier John Horgan says he gets more letters about changing clocks than almost anything else. Writing a letter of his own this week to the governors of California, Oregon and Washington states. We can act in unison, the four jurisdictions, make the case that we need to either stay with daylight saving time or stay with Pacific Standard Time and then do it together. Last year, California had a vote showing overwhelming support from the state to stick with daylight saving time all year. Studies show changing the clocks can increase crashes on the roads and lead to health issues. And that conversation in BC, like six months ago uh, when they fell back, he said, nope, we're not touching these clocks. But then they, the more conversations yeah. they had out there, the reason why we keep talking about it is because every jurisdiction kind of ups the ante of like, okay, well, maybe we can regionally agree. Like in BC, they want to do the Northwest states and BC, yeah. be all in the same time zone for business, right? Like it just, the, the clocks don't keep turning. So does the conversation. Right. And so because we're adjoined to Saskatchewan, which does not change their clocks. Hasn't said 66. Right. So we're in a different situation because we're an adjoining jurisdiction. So that would be okay. But could you imagine changing the clocks if North Dakota, South Dakota, Minnesota, and all those states that are in that central time zone, if they didn't change or if they didn't do the same thing, there's going to have to be some agreement on this, I suspect. Well, it's it's kind of interesting because where I go to vacation in the wintertime, you land in Puerto Vallarta, you're on basically mountain time. Okay, so say you get into Puerto Vallarta at 10 o'clock mm-hmm. or whatever. All you have to do is drive about 45 minutes, and all of a sudden, you're 
an hour earlier. Really? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And it's like we're talking about in a span of 45, a 45-minute drive. And all of a sudden, your uh, Puerto Vallarta would be our time, central time. And uh, where I go in La Panita, it's actually mountain time. Oh, weird. Yeah, yeah. Do you, did, did, do you find that, like, does anybody down there say how nobody, bizarre it is? No, nobody has said anything, but it just, you know, you have to, if you're leaving to go to the airport to fly out, you better remember it's it's an hour <laughs> oh, later. Yeah. Yeah. It gives a whole new uh, meaning to the terminology manana. Yeah, or, or, you know, if you're not an hour early or an hour I late. feel like there's no scenario to which you're not at the airport at least three hours early anyway. Yeah, true, but still... <laughs> I feel like Kelly Moore's that guy. Forte, which, if you had to pick one of the two times, would you stay in daylight saving time or would you stay in standard? I'm telling you this right now that before before working mornings, I would have said stay in daylight savings time. But uh, now that we're in it and I'm doing mornings and I have to go to bed before the sun goes down, that sucks. <laughs> That's Why easy. not compromise and let yesterday or whatever just change the clocks forward half an hour and leave it at that? Oh, God. Oh, for Let's make it really uh, You're right. You're not thinking. That's not that com- If you only do it once <laughs> and leave it like that forever. He's forever. Oh. He's not yeah. saying oh, every forever. Year. Just yeah. to split the difference and then just to get people that's to it. Stop I picked complaining 17 minutes. We should move 17 minutes forward and leave and it there. How about this? Whole world, exact same time all the time. Like it's 6.53 right now, no. and in Newfoundland at 6.53, and in London, England at 6.53, and in Tokyo at 6.53, and it just not. means different things in different places. Yeah, but then 6 p.m. To... here means the middle of the night when 6 p.m. in London is still supper time. So breakfast like is supper, yeah. and supper is breakfast, yeah. and all those, oh boy. <laughs> so Tokyo. You could... aren't thinking this morning. You and are, change yeah. the clocks to metric, too. It only goes from 1 to 10. So what? <laughs> Jim Brown, you're on now fire. We, now we know what he stayed awake thinking about last night. <laughs> oh, I love it. Gold. Uh, what about you, Mac? Like, which one did you pick, standard or daylight? I don't know. I'd have to study it. I don't know which one. I think I like this one, but I'm I'm kind of hesitant to give up this last hour of sleep, but to give it away once and forever. I, I, regardless, I want that hour back and then... <laughs> And then keep it, whether it's the good one or the bad one, I want my hour of sleep back. Yeah, I think I'd probably stick with daylight saving time because you do get that extra hour in the evening. And it's still, the sun still comes up super early. Like if we were to stay in standard time, the sun would be coming up at like four in the morning in the peak of summer. Yeah, and you'd still have the hour time difference with Saskatchewan, wouldn't you? If or, we stayed in daylight saving time, yeah, because they would be they're in standard all the time, right? Okay, is that yeah. or is that how it is? Well, that's they're so different no now. Idea. We're different from them now. Uh, yeah, right. yeah. Okay. So let's let's stay on track with them. So let's go with standard time. <laughs> We're then. following oh. Saskatchewan again. See what's happening here. Sometimes you just have to admit, Greg, that they have a better idea. Sometimes you just have to do that. Yeah, they have better ideas than don't, us far as, too often. As my Kelly. grandma used to say, "Don't spite your nose." Uh, yeah, don't spite your nose to cut your face. Yeah. Or as uh, Michael Scott used to say, don't cut off your nose to spider, spider face. Spider That's face. the one I was thinking of. <laughs> my grandma, Michael Scott. <laughs> which one did you go with, McNabb? <laughs> I don't know. I'm so confused right now. I don't know which one's which. I have to we're be honest da- with you. We're in daylight saving time Yeah, or I think I'd stay in daylight saving. Yeah. For the, I, I really don't like going... Now, because of this shift, you're coming in in the dark anyway, so right. it doesn't matter to me. It's the end of the day I don't like. Like, I like having that bright sun at 5 p.m. 
Well, we actually had a text here from, and we had this discussion uh, a couple of months Fall. back. Yeah. Uh, someone just saying Google the Manitoba legislative. They passed a motion to change the clock one more time in November, and then it would never change again. That's a proposal in front of the Manitoba legislature. It's a private member's bill. Right. So you can come forward and you can propose whatever you want as an MLA, but it still has to be passed by everybody or majority, sorry, in, uh, in, yeah. in the legislature. That hasn't happened, and it's not likely to happen. So, yeah, don't get confused over that. Yeah, that there. this is not the last change. November is not the last change. There is no There is no new law in Manitoba, yeah. plain and simple. What? You can tell us which one would you pick. Deborah says, give me standard time all year, anytime. Okay, let us know why, Deborah. 204-780-6868. Jeff Brown, thank you. Kelly Moore, thank you. Kelly and Jeff Fortier. And we start this hour with a half a foot of snow. Yeah, that's what fell in parts of North Dakota over the weekend. And another nine inches blanketing Fargo. And if you're wondering what that is, that's 22 centimeters. That's a heck of a lot of snow. So much that in Fargo, roofs at a church and three other buildings there actually collapsed. Now, southern Manitoba caught just the edge of that system on Saturday, but we all know much of the snow, no matter where it falls south of us, will end up in the Red River and make its way here, where there's a possibility of more snow in the forecast for southern Manitoba later this week. For more on what we can expect, we're joined by Senior Climatologist for Environment Canada, David Phillips. Good morning, David. Good morning, Loren. We uh, have our eyes on later this week. We know snow is kind of typical for March, but I don't know how much more we can take here in southern Manitoba. What are we looking at? Well, Lorraine, you're you're dealing with about 40 centimeters of snow sitting on the on the ground right now. I mean, that's not a, a record for this time of the year. I think you'd have to go back to. Uh, I think the the record is about uh, 83 centimeters back in 1956. But 40 centimeters is a lot. I mean, you saw in February uh, uh, one of the the snowiest months. I think it was the snowiest in about uh, 80 years in February, and and a lot of that snow it just hasn't gone. And uh, and what we're seeing in other parts of southern Manitoba. Manitoba. Uh, we're seeing, uh, you know, 57, 60 centimeters of snow in Sprague and Brandon. Uh, this is snow sitting on the ground and 49 centimeters at Emerson. But south of the border, that's that's right. There's a worry there. Uh, what we're seeing now in places like in Fargo, uh, 63, 70 centimeters of snow sitting on the ground, even a little bit more in other areas of, of North Dakota. Another weather system is coming this week on Thursday, another one of these Colorado lows. That looks like it's going to miss you guys, but uh, but still uh, bring some more snow to to them. Spring snows are are quite um, are, are quite common. I looked in the last seventy years in Winnipeg, and there's only been four where April's where you didn't have some snow. And and typically you get um, you know on average after uh, March the first about thirty centimeters or twenty five percent of your annual snowfall. So you haven't stopped counting the number of flakes of uh, of, of snow. So it, I'm sure that flood forecasters are, are concerned, not just about what is in Manitoba, but also south of the border. David, uh, we were told to expect up to three centimeters of snow on Saturday, did not materialize. It ended up south of us. So we, uh, you know, you breathe a sigh of relief somewhat yes. because you don't have to shovel it. But the fact that it's gone south of us means that it's not going to show up here as snow, but more likely water. And we were talking on Friday about how ironic it is. We've had this this really cold stretch since the first week of January and we're all ready for spring. But we're kind of, our enthusiasm is tempered somewhat because we don't want spring to come all at once. 
I know. It, it really, I mean, psychologically we do. We want to go from slush to sweat, but we know that um, that could certainly mean issues with all that snow sitting on the ground and, of course, the frozen ground, because even if you got a rapid melt, I mean, all that water would have to stay on the surface and just get into the rivers, which are, are ice clogged. So, you know, the, the, the ideal kind of weather would be is what I see coming up for you this week, like what we would call here in eastern Canada maple syrup weather, where you're getting like temperatures that are getting, you know, close to above the freezing mark. Uh, and this is certainly for you guys, the first time since the early January that you've had a, had a kind of a melting temperature, but lots of sunshine. And you know, guys, even if the temperature stays below the freezing mark, with that sunshine, you're getting melting. I mean, you walk out there at, uh, uh, along Portage Avenue, and my gosh, with its, uh, if it's minus one and that sun is shining, it, it's going to feel like more like eight or nine degrees. So I think that uh, what we really want, and as far as I can see in the forecast, is some good news. We want to go kind of uh, ease through it. We don't want to rush to to spring-like weather. And so uh, melting during the day, freezing at night, that's the right, right kind of formula that you need to get rid of the excess snow and melt the ground and get the, the ice moving and uh, so that you're not standing in water. But certainly um, when we look at the last two or three years, I think it's only been four years ago where we've had more snow sitting on the ground now in Winnipeg back in 2014, 54 centimeters at this time. So, you know, it's an issue that you've got to deal with, and, and but the forecast is certainly looking in the next few days, I think is almost a perfect forecast. And certainly that Colorado low that they may get south of the border on Thursday, it looks like it's just going to be cloud in the uh, Winnipeg area. David, curious as to how much interaction you have with the province of Manitoba with regard to the flood forecast, do they depend on Environment Canada for information directly or any less or more casually than, than we would? Oh, there, there's really a, like a, a hotline right into their office. They they depend upon our forecasts. They're in constant, um, they get briefed by our people. Um, and, of course, they have their own networks. They also have a very close cooperation with the U.S. Weather Service and the uh, and the flood forecasting people there. It, it really is a, a, a group effort. Uh, they may be different agencies, but they're all with the same purpose in uh, in mind. David Phillips from Environment Canada joining us live on 680 CJOB. David, thank you very much as always. You're so welcome, guys. Bye-bye now. Senior climatologist for Environment Canada. Normal for this time of year, by the way, is a high of minus 2 and a low of minus 12. And looking at the long-term forecast for the next couple of weeks, it basically looks like that's about what we're really hmm. going to get. I'm seeing highs in the... Right around minus one, minus two, plus one, plus two. Any predictions for patio time come Wednesday? You know, when you know, as soon as we go above <laughs> zero, because we haven't had zero since January seventh, so it's right. over two months. I always love Winnipeg when it gets like even just a hint of is that spring. Like yeah. suddenly people are like, we should hit a patio. When I lived in Calgary, they would scramble to open patios when you'd yeah. get a Chinook. Yeah. And it'd be the middle of January and it'd be like, you want to hit a patio? Yes. It's like it's Wednesday. Yeah, yeah. but it's 12 degrees. <laughs> yeah, we're booking off early. I have and a it family was... member in Calgary and he said yesterday he's driving down the street and everyone's on the patio. He's like, yes. And pulls over, calls the wife, you know. They've had a rough winter. Yeah. They've had the coldest winter they've had in about 40 years in Calgary. So I'm not shedding a tear, but uh, yeah. Patio? Should we have a Should we have a pool? We have lots of pools around here. Maybe we should bring our uh, bring our listeners in a on that pool. first patio day of the year. You want to predict it?
Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb. And to set up our next interview, here's a clip from Mark Melsness with Environment Canada. Still kind of painting that southeast corner of Manitoba, possibly getting uh, 10 or 15 centimeters, but uh, it's still a few days away, so it's tough to say how the exact track is, is going to bear out. And for Winnipeg? For Winnipeg, we should miss it, although, if, you know, if the track changes, uh, that that could still, uh, we could still get something from it. But right now, it looks like the worst of it should be, uh, oh, through the Dakotas and Minnesota. While not unexpected, might be causing some concern to anyone just keeping their eye on the moisture levels out there. Oh, I'm sure every Colorado low that comes along and, you know, even dumps snow in the Red River Basin to our south, it, it's of concern for us too. Mark Melsness with Environment Canada. Grand Forks got six inches of snow over the weekend. You had roofs collapsing in the Fargo-Moorhead area, including on a church and three businesses. And that's raising some concerns, Loran, about flooding here in southern Manitoba. Yeah, and particularly north of the city where they're always keeping their eye on ice jams in Selkirk. For more on what they're doing to try to mitigate the possible damage. We're joined by Selkirk Mayor Larry Johansson. Good morning, Larry. Good morning, Lauren. How are you doing? We're good. I'm wondering how you're doing when you see those snowfall total, totals south of the border and you hear of more possible snow on the way. What goes through your head? Oh, it's it's very, very worrisome. Uh, of course, we're keeping an eye uh, around here, you know, St. Clement, St. Andrews and the city of Selkirk. But uh, I watched down south uh, all weekend. Uh, uh, for starters, I've got kids that are skiing uh, by Duluth, so I was worried about them driving down there on Friday. But Grand Forks getting six inches, and Duluth, Minnesota, all that region, all that water, it's got to come down the Red River, and it's got to come right past our place. So, Larry, uh, I know the Amphibex equipment has been out on the Red River trying to get out ahead of this, as they've been doing for for nearly a decade now, but can you explain some of the geographical challenges you have, in particular in St. Clements, as you head in towards Selkirk? There are different bends and, and parts of the river that are extra susceptible to ice jamming and some flooding concerns, if my memory serves me correct. Well, no, you're absolutely right. Uh, we've been really, really effective, really efficient this year. Uh, we're trying to, we got on a little bit later. Usually we're on the day after Louis Riel Day, and we were about four or five days past that. But we tried a few different uh, scenarios this year, and we've really, really come along good. Uh, we've passed the number four bridge yesterday, and we kind of uh, got held up at the airport because uh, the shacks were still sitting there. So what happened is we turned around a couple of machines, and we went back. And there, you're right, there is a few problem areas that uh, we like to widen out a little bit. So seeing we had the time, uh, we widened those areas up. Now we're going to keep moving today, and we should get to Selkirk and past the golf course i'm hoping wednesday or thursday and that'll do the red we'll have the red all done and then uh, if the province wants us to go to riverton and the portage diversion uh, we'll put a machine out there but we want to get the first nations also we want to do fisher river by pegwis we want to do the broken head river Uh, we want to make sure that the first nations are, are thoroughly protected also the province's flood forecast said that ice was going to be thicker than normal this year. They also said the risk could be high or even severe in some areas. And of course, that was before all this snow that fell in North Dakota. So when when they say it could be that bad and they compare it to 2011 levels, paint a picture of what that might look like in your area should the that scenario come true. Absolutely. You know, what's really, really worrying us, too, is the ground froze so early. The ground froze solid. 
so even if it starts warming up, there's so much snow cover uh, and more snow and rain coming uh, that there's going to be completely 100% runoff. Very little of this snow and uh, groundwater is going to go into the earth. So that's all going to go into the uh, into the water system, and that's what's really, really scary. There's so much ice on the river. We've well over 30 inches, and there's so much snow cover that our uh, ice cutters that go ahead of the uh, amphibexes to score the ice are having a tough time just getting through the snow and then getting into the ice. So it's really, really heavy out there. And what's worrying us uh, the most for myself is that Nutley Creek area. Uh, That Nutley Creek area has been really, really built up over the last decade. Beautiful homes in there, but it's still prone to flooding. And if we get ice jams before the ice gets out to the Nutley Marsh and to the lake area, uh, we could be in for a little bit of a, a bad scenario here. Now, Larry, we're always so grateful for the foresight of Duff Roblin and then uh, Gary Dewar and the and the government that expand, expanded the floodway. But Selkirk's north of the floodway, so you get the river and then also the river water that's diverted around the city of Winnipeg, correct? Absolutely, and and that's a big, big uh, risk for us. What they have to do is hopefully hold off on opening the floodway until that ice does get past uh, Netley Creek, gets into the marsh area. There's a million miles out there with the lake and uh, the marsh area. It doesn't have to be thawed out. It can take all the water that comes down the red, all the water from the south, it'll take it. But what gets us is if they... The ice jams up before it gets out to the marsh area. The floodway opens. All the water starts coming from the south. The temperature looks like it's going to start rising. That's the worry uh, that we've got right now. So we we need these nights to be uh, cooler like they are right now. And the temperature, if it hoovers around that zero mark, that's not too bad for us. It'll be a little bit of a slower melt. What happens if they... Open the, the the floodway before. Well, it's like a it's like a bathtub with the plug in, and you're not turning off the faucet. Sooner or later, it's going to go over that bathtub, and uh, it just it, the water will come. It'll come hard, and uh, the big thing was uh, Grand Forks and uh, North Dakota area. You know that was black fields about uh, two to three weeks ago. They had nothing, and then one weekend they got I think it was oh close to three feet of snow. Uh, they're still getting more snow. It's piled up. I've got reports that it's piled up down there. There's walls of uh, of snowdrifts and that down there. So all that has to uh, has to melt, and it's got to come somewhere. So it's going to be the rate of the melt. It's going to be how quick it comes, and uh, how f- full that floodway gets, and how fast it gets us. To how everything's going to turn out here. It's uh, it's uh, it's worrisome. Uh, it's interesting, and it's uh, it's a ride we're all going to have to take. Selkirk Mayor Larry Johansson. And thank you so much for joining us this morning. Much appreciated. Have, have a great day, guys. All right. And just a quick mention here, question of the day at cjob.com, brought to you by Mr. Furness. Don't call them first. You'll see why. Call Mr. Furness, 204-832-6243. For the second time in five months, a Boeing 737 MAX 8 has been involved in a devastating crash. Would you be comfortable boarding this type of plane? So far, 71% say no. And interesting, we've put this poll on cjob.com, Twitter, and Facebook, and it's always a different result. Sometimes it's the same end result as in, like, the majority leans one way. But it's usually a different percentage. But on Facebook, Twitter, and at CJOB.com, it's 71%.
which is kind of, I just found that interesting. We so. also had somebody uh, on our Twitter account say they're actually boarding, we're boarding one to Jamaica this morning, right? And so it's a very real scenario to get on that and nobody needs to fear monger. We had an expert on earlier saying, look, there's very simple things that can be done and our pilots here in Canada are well-trained, but there's certainly going to be a lot of questions about this plane and that crash as we move forward this morning. Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb, thank you very much for joining us this morning. If you're just tuning in, you may have missed that today is CJOB's birthday, 73 years of serving Winnipeg. This is Blick Broadcasting Limited, 1340 on the dial, CJOB, the station that's working for Winnipeg. CJOB. Good morning, neighbors. This is Chuck Cook inviting you to smile, darn you. Come on, smile. Here is the latest news from the wires of British United and Canadian press. You'll find you'll never go wrong if you learn to croon this happy tune. It's 680 song. This is Red Alex, and we're here for breakfast with you. There she is. Ringing this is the old bell. Dial C-J-O-B. Sports. This is Ken Nicholson. It'll be my pleasure to describe the play-by-play of the Winnipeg Blue Bombers in the coming year. Tell you the truth, I'm scared to death heading into this, my first broadcast of a pro football game. Mayor Stephen Juba kicked off this program on the C-J-O-B action line this morning. He's back in the studio with us. Almost 34 years ago, on March the 11th, 1946, a similar ceremony to this took place when Mayor Gina Coulter, the mayor of Winnipeg at that time, pulled a switch which put CJOB on the air. Oh, listen to this. Uh, well, that's like a new Breaking news. Yes. Bulletin, bulletin. Bulletin, relay, relay. <laughs> relay, relay. Remember those. So, yeah, 73 years, 680 CJOB. And we're getting lots of people texting saying, for example, hey, it was always on in my parents' house growing up. And then when I moved out, kitchen radio, always on CJOB. Love the traffic, love the weather reports. Great to be in the know. Thumbs up. Thank you very much. And thank you for sharing that to 204-780-6868. I want to apologize for some a question I might have asked in our previous conversation with Larry Johansson, the mayor of Selkirk, of course, flooding concerns everywhere you go. People are talking about the weather, but very quickly after, if they're not talking about the bombers, the jets, or or otherwise, they're talking about this concern about spring flooding. And I referenced a, a piece of equipment called the Amphibex. It's been out on the Red River, as Larry said, since about five days or so after the February long weekend, Louis Riedel, uh, Louis Riel holiday. And Loren, I realized that maybe some people don't know exactly what the Amphibex is. You've had the honor to ride on one of these machines. Maybe you could describe exactly what it does and how it does it. Yeah, it's a it's basically an icebreaker and it if I were to describe it it looks a little bit about like a backhoe and a digger excavation thing on the front but it's kind of like something you'd picture out of a transformer movie or something because it is it's made in Manitoba like this doesn't exist 
anywhere else. They've built it to deal with all the ice jams we have, and then it's since been taken on by other cities. And so it goes onto the ice, and it's heavy enough that it can kind of put that weight down to break up to, I think, at least a meter of ice. But then it has that front part that can you know, smash through. And so it's really, really cool, but at the same time, it moves really slowly. So you sort of, I equated it to something you'd see out of a movie. It's not just tearing through the ice and chewing it up at a rapid pace. It's moving relatively slowly, and it takes, I think, I think it was at the time, two people at least to pilot it and it can't move on ground so it, it's brought by a truck and then next to the ice moved onto the ice and then transported that way but it basically is breaking up the ice because what they want to get rid of is those huge chunks that can create almost a wave of ice that would wash up on the shore and and really damage some things and it floats on water i guess well it's it's on the ice so if that ice turns to water i don't think this thing floats okay it, it's meant to be on solid ice and break that up uh but that's a good question because it has the ability to be in and around the water so I don't think you'd throw it onto a it moving sort, red river sort of in the like summer, a, but a hovercraft bottom, that sort of it has deal? a bit of around the edges what looks like the and I'm uh, uh, that tubing that I'm thinking of. Almost yeah. like a, a bumper yeah. all the way around. Well, thanks for uh, filling in the blanks on that. I, I hope I didn't have oh. people yelling at the radio. What on earth is an af- amphibex? I'm just watching a video here of an amphibex in action. Uh, and it is, uh, it's, it's chugging along on an on open the body of water. water. Really? I wondered that because when I've been on it, it's on such solid ice, but then as it breaks it open, it would be on the water. Loren, it's just so heavy that it's kind of like when you're on certain vessels, you're like, how is this thing, how floating? Is this thing floating? You are one of the smartest people I've ever met. You got on this machine about without asking the question. Does it float? Does it float? <laughs> Never really worried. The only time I've ever been worried about uh, being on ice is when they were building some winter war- roads years ago, mm. and we were taking um, a bombardier across the ice. And he, you know, like they often do when you go ice fishing, he made us keep the doors open. And I was young at the time, and I was like, "What are the do- doors open for?" And he's like, "To save yourself when we go under." <laughs> and I was like, "Oh." Okay. All right. Safety first. That's why you open the windows and open the sunroof if you're on Lake of the Woods, if you're on the ice roads out there, just in case. For sure. Text message at 204-780-6868 regarding our birthday. Mike says, happy birthday, CJOB. When I moved to Winnipeg from New Brunswick in 1978 with my parents, I thought the only radio station was 680 CJOB is that was all we listened to. So, Mike, thank you very much for that. And that reminds me of my aunt. I don't even know if she knew what the FM dial was. Her radio, like, for as long as she was on this earth, was on 680 CJOB. So, uh, she always, that's why she got a real kick whenever she'd hear me on the radio. Oh, I heard you on the radio. And I'd say, yeah, I work there. So, you're going to hear that a lot. For a lot of people, <laughs> on the radio does mean CJOB. They don't even qualify it. That's just on the radio to them. And we love it. Mackling, McGarry, McNabb, thank you very much for joining us this morning on 680 CJOB. Jeff Fortier, we gave away some prizes just before Global News at 9.30. Yes, we did. Who won the prize? Glenn Bergeron. Glenn, congratulations. Glenn won a four-pack of tickets for Cottage Country's Lake and Cabin Show at Red River Exhibition Place, March 22nd to the 24th. And the question was, how old is 680 CJOB turning today? Greg Mackling, what's the answer? 73 years young, this day in 1946, at exactly 8 a.m., CJOB went on the air for the very first time. And we are getting a lot of text messages. 
Thank you so much for the feedback and the memories that you are sharing. Uh, and Hel- Helen was the one who texted us saying that uh, she used to work in the Lindsay building where we were st- set up downtown. And she says, oh, hang on a second here. I just lost it. Believe it or not, I still have some of the old records, 10-inch records that I won as prizes from Club 1340, where they CJOB once sat on the dial. Keep up the good work. I also used to phone into George McCloy on his shut-in. I, I learned that terminology shut in from CJOB. Didn't know exactly what that was. I think I remember asking my mom or my dad what a shut in was. And of course, that's those are people that can't get out of their house. And that CJOB or the radio is their constant companion. And so for those of you who are in that situation, it's our honor to be your eyes and ears to the world, your conduit to what's going on. And this text message from Sandy, I think, sums up the message maybe that we're trying to get out to a lot of folks these these days. Brett, do you want to read this or shall I? Sandy says, your station has been part of my family for as long as I can remember. It's informative and newsy, yet modern and fun to listen to. Keep up the great work. Sandy, thank you for that feedback. We appreciate all the feedback, whether it's good or bad. We had somebody earlier texting saying 73 years of fake news. (laughs) I'm just assuming that's the tone they were going for. Pretty good, I would imagine. Yeah, but uh, no, thank you so much. We appreciate it. And we also appreciate, Greg, the the work that uh, you have done with the St. Boniface Foundation over the years, St. Boniface Hospital Foundation. Uh, You're a huge advocate for them. You're the voice, uh, the face. You see their commercials for their Mega Million Choices lottery. By the way, Mega Million Choices, pardon me, St. B, megamillionchoices.ca if you want to get in on that. And you uh, had a conversation, I guess, in a way that kind of ties into uh, the recent death of Luke Perry. Yeah, stroke is such a big uh, killer. It's a, it, it kills thousands of Canadians every single month. And here's the deal with stroke. They don't always know when you're having one. Yeah. That's the first thing. And then there are two types of stroke that you can be having. And one treatment for one type can actually essentially kill you if you receive it by accident or if they don't know what kind of stroke you're having. And I always think about Star Trek and the medical tricorder that they have in place where you just put your thumb and they know exactly what's going on with you. Well, at St. Boniface Hospital Research Center, the Albrechtson Research Center, they're trying to find a blood test that would very quickly, almost instantaneously, tell us, A, if you're having a stroke, and B, what type of stroke you're having. Here's Dr. Grant Pierce. He's Director of Research at Albrechtson Research Center at St. Boniface Hospital. It is very difficult uh, for uh, someone, unless they're a stroke expert, to tell whether you've had a stroke. Primarily, they do it by just asking questions. They, they do a history. Uh, but you could be dizzy. You could, uh, you know, be, I don't know, uh, uh, just, just have a, a problem, uh, uh, transient ischemic attack, something like that. But it's very difficult to know whether you've got a stroke. Now, every minute, every second that you wait for treatment means you're losing brain cells, if it is a stroke. The other factor that's important there, so, so what, the, what the doctors have to do is they have to put you in for a CT or an MRI scan to see whether you've got a stroke. And there are two types of stroke. One is called an ischemic stroke. The other is a hemorrhagic stroke. In the ischemic stroke... It is a blockage in the artery in your brain that provides blood and energy and life to your brain. 
in the hemorrhagic, it's the opposite. You don't have a blockage there. You have a blown-out artery. So the artery actually blows, and you have lots of blood flow into an area you're not supposed to have it, which is right in the brain itself. Both are extremely dangerous and damaging, uh, but they require different treatments. So normally, in an ischemic situation where you have a blockage, it's like your heart. You take clot-busting drugs that bust up the clot and then release the blood to the area so that everything is good in your heart. Same situation in your brain. But because the stroke is a unique situation where it could be hemorrhagic or ischemic, you can't give that clot-busting drug because if it's a hemorrhagic stroke, it will blow that, that uh, hole even more. You'll have even more bleeding and the person will have an even worse situation. So when somebody comes in for that, for that stroke, they think, they're, they think they're having a stroke, the doctors have to wait. And they have to wait until they get the results of that CT to determine what type of treatment they can give. So obviously, the more you wait, the more problems you've got. Well, if you're, you can accentuate that even more if you're in a rural area. If you're in a rural area, number one, you've got to go a long way to get to the hospital. Number two, the hospital you get to may not have a CT or an MRI there. Now you got yourself an even bigger problem. So those people are at even more risk. So what's the answer to that? Well, only research can provide the answer to that, and that is to find a biomarker that tells you, A, whether you've had a stroke, and B, whether you've had an ischemic stroke or hemorrhagic stroke. In other words, what's a biomarker? A biomarker is a substance that you can find in the blood. So you simply take a blood sample or poke your finger or whatever, and then you get like a dipstick, put it in there, and it goes, yep, you've, you know, A or B. Yep, I've had a stroke or I haven't had a stroke. Or it says, yep, I've had a hemorrhagic stroke or I have an ischemic stroke. We have those biomarkers for things like a heart attack, but we don't have them for a stroke. So right now, we're about to start a project in which we have blood samples from McMaster University is, is giving us access to those. And they have the biggest um, biobank, the biggest bank of these stroke samples anywhere in the world. So they're giving us access to those, and we happen to have an outstanding research group, one of the best in the world, in looking at something called lipidomics or metabolomics. So they look at lipid molecules, which, uh, so fats, which may be released from the brain during a stroke, and we have reason to believe, I won't go into the details here, we have reason to believe that uh, they'll be different in an ischemic stroke and in a hemorrhagic stroke. If they are able to solve this, Brett and Loren, it will change the world. It will change how people are cared for when they have stroke. Just to give you some numbers, just to give you an idea before we move on from this, in Canada, there are more than 50 thousand Canadians that have a stroke every year. About 6% of all deaths in Canada are associated to stroke. 20% of those who have a cardiovascular related death have a stroke. And on average, 
One stroke occurs every 10 minutes in Canada, 15% of which result in death. Time is so critical and figuring out, A, as Dr. Pierce was saying, whether or not you are having or have had a stroke and which type you are having or have had is an absolute game changer. And that's just an example of some of the research, the world-class research. You hear it. You heard that terminology time and time again. It feels overused at times. In this case, it is absolutely accurate. It's interesting, too, because I think Luke Perry also made people stop and think, wow, 52, mm-hmm. you're not supposed to have a stroke at such a young age, right? So time is of the essence, but also not putting that stereotype on things like a stroke and saying, oh, well, that that's something to worry about when I'm 70 or 80 or no 90. No question. Liz just texted us at 204-780-6868. I've been listening to CJOB since the 60s. It's our birthday today, 73. Liz says, I was a little girl and didn't understand why people were giving a piece of beef to others. <laughs> <laughs> on, beef, on, on beefs and bouquets. Of course, I get it now. Now I am retired and still enjoy the information station or Manitoba's information superstation. As a couple of people have said, why did you guys drop that moniker? I, I, I don't know. Taller foreheads and smarter people than us made that decision. (laughs) (laughs) Taller foreheads? Taller foreheads. Okay. Mm -hmm. (laughs) We'll leave it at that. Hey, thanks for listening to the Start Podcast. We are available on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, wherever you find your favorite podcasts. Subscribe now and never miss an episode. And if you like what you hear, rate the show, tell us what you think. And hey, even tell a friend about the podcast. Be sure to follow us on Twitter and Instagram. Greg is at GMACWPG. That's G-M-A-C-K-W-P-G. I am at Brett McGarry, B-R-E-T-T-M-E-G-A-R-R-Y. And Loren on Twitter is at McNab on Global. And on Instagram, at McNab on C-J-O-B. Talk soon.